Hello and welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. My name is Jessica and it's so good to be with you today. And we are Crossroads Church located an hour north of Denver. The website is crossroadscolorado.com and I encourage you, I invite you to go there and look around. Check us out, see who we are. It's so good to be with you. I also always include links in the show notes, especially to our gather page. The gather page is loaded with links of things that you may be interested in. A link to our e-newsletter called The Feed that goes out every week. There's a link to the connect card. We would love to hear who you are, where you're from, where you're joining us from. We like to connect. So when you are ready to do that, Go ahead and fill that out with as much information as you feel comfortable. There are also ways to give. And so we encourage you to take next steps always in wherever you're at, whatever you're comfortable with. So today, Pastor Katie Martinez is teaching, and I'm so glad and excited that you're here to hear her message. And then she's going to send us out with a blessing. My name's Katie. I'm a teacher. <laughs> Good morning. I'm a pastor here at Crossroads. It's great to see everyone here in the auditorium at 57th and Taft. I trust that many of you are joining us online. It's actually pretty snowy and icy here in northern Colorado. So I hope if you are joining us online, you're enjoying a balmier day than we are. I have to tell you that song um, that we just played the opening of, uh, Pink Floyd. Another brick in the wall. I believe it was 1979-ish. I was probably in about the seventh or eighth grade when that song hit the charts, and uh, it's stuck in my head. So I'm just passing it on. <laughs> I was singing it a little in my home this mor- last night, just kind of, and the family, the whole family got it stuck in their head. So you can help me. I think that if I tell you why it's stuck in my head, we can all just move on, and that will probably be a good idea. Uh, I was just reading my Bible. That's how it happened. I was just minding my own, you know, Bible-reading little business. Reading my Bible, I was in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, and I was reading this saying from Jesus, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was criticizing the scribes and the Pharisees. Like Jesus, they were teachers, but their teaching was based in what we might call thought control. And we don't need no thought control, no dark sarcasm in the classroom. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control, no dark sarcasm in the classroom. Teacher, leave those kids alone. Hey, 
teacher, leave those kids alone. And all in all, you're just another brick in the wall. That was Jesus's scathing indictment. But I have to say, until that moment that I was reading my little Bible, I had not thought about Pink Floyd channeling the Sermon on the Mount. Not one little bit. No, never before. It was a brilliant idea I just came up with recently. In the music video, and it's, it's kind of dark, but oh man, it's a brilliant piece of artwork. Before it's time. In the music video, the kids rise up, they tear apart the school, and they burn it down. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is a little dark, too, but not quite so. Jesus has a different vision for the children. He does throw the rigid education system under the bus, and then he turns to the kids, and he says, and I'll just paraphrase what's running through my head, unless you start thinking more creatively, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. And I'm not here, make no mistake, I'm not here to tear down 2,000 years of spiritual enlightenment. If you really understood the Jewish faith, you would know how life-giving it is. But you're stuck in a system, and this system is failing you. Well, there's no excuse for submitting to the system. Everyone is responsible with God for the condition of your own soul. And frankly, unless your spiritual IQ surpasses that of your teachers, your, your condition is never going to change. That's what I hear there. And the rest is history. Jesus' teachings in Matthew 5 through 7 are life-changing. The sermon is treasured across faiths and cultures over time for good reason. And the Apostle Paul took up the baton from Jesus and continued to develop these themes and help people find freedom from religious rule and learn how to experience the process of spiritual transformation. And that's our topic today. We're in a series called Living in Christ. Today we're talking about the pattern of death and resurrection that's in our spiritual growth journey. And we're asking the question, what has to die, or in the language of the cross, what must be crucified so that healthy religion, or I'm sorry, healthy spirituality, healthy religion too, healthy spirituality can live. This would be a good time to pull out your talk notes if you're a physical note taker or access them digitally. I trust that you came here freely and that you're interested in your spiritual health. Even if you're not aware of it, I think you care. I really think you care. Have you ever tried something to improve your spiritual health but it only made you sicker? One time I put myself on a program to wean myself off of hours of sleep so that I could read the Bible more. It did not improve my spiritual health. I became more unrighteous with every minute of sleep than I was losing. Some of you didn't, I, I don't blame my household for that. It was the youth group, that's where I got that idea. They didn't tell me to wean myself off sleep, they just told me to read the Bible more and that was my dumb idea for how to get healthier. Some of you didn't grow up in a religious house. What's the dumbest thing that you ever did to improve your emotional health? Anyone ever confess your faults to the wrong person? Ever do some oversharing on Facebook because you're trying to practice healthy vulnerability? Has anyone ever gone to couples counseling with an addict who's in denial? We do stuff because we care and it doesn't always help. It doesn't always work. The Apostle Paul has some wisdom and understanding for us about some of this spiritual guidance 
that's become misguidance. The passage is Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, through chapter 3, verse 4. And in my Bible, at the top of that section, it's called dying and rising with Christ. Here we find Paul expanding on Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. He's helping a new audience grow. The new audience are the Colossians. That's a people group. He's warning them of the dangers of being drawn into the Jewish religion. He's also showing them the counterintuitive way in which healthy transformation can take place in their lives. One of the appeals of Judaism in the pagan world of century number one was its high moral code, and it made heavy demands. Often when people are sick and tired of their moral condition, they're glad to embrace a way of life that offers clear, bright lines. Let's read. If Christ, if with Christ... You died to the elemental spirits of the universe. Why do you live as though you still belonged to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All these regulations refer to things that will perish with use. They are simply human commands and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body, but they're of no value in checking self-indulgence. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Paul has a vision. He sees free people, people thinking like God, and experiencing ongoing cycles of renewal. Let's explore three essential actions that we could take to understand and experience the life that Paul's envisioning. And the first action is to stop submitting to human regulation. Stop submitting. Paul asks, if you're living the pattern of Christ's death and life, and resurrection, we just sang about it in the song that we just sung together. If you're living that pattern that you just sang about, then why do you live as though you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations like don't eat and don't touch? These regulations refer to objects, worldly things and processes. They're simply man-made. I'm digressing to a sexist language. And in that translation, but the truth is, I don't think any women helped make these rules. <laughs> Ooh. Now, if, you know, they just didn't. All the rules were made by men. These rules that he's referring to, literally. If women had been in charge long enough, we could get there with some of these bad rules. But, meaning women would get just as bad. That, I'm misspeaking. Women would become just as misusing of power as men. If we were in charge long enough, that's how it works. The rules have an appearance of wisdom in regulating behavior, but they're of no value for change. And he's not really saying you don't need no education. He's saying we need to choose a different methodology for growth and change, one that's divinely powerful rather than half-baked shortcuts that don't work, stop submitting to human regulations and worldly methods. Make no mistake, don't submit is a call to spiritual rebellion. We are usually not called to tear the building down and burn it up, but we are called to stand up 
We're invited to care about our own well-being and to rebel against rules that don't serve our purpose for living in Christ. We're called to stand up in dissenting minority and say with scathing clarity, I died and rose with Christ, and I am capable of cooperating with the Holy Spirit to change and grow. And when you say that, in that sense, you're saying, I know myself, and I know how to manage my own spiritual development. And in that sense, you're bluffing. A little bit. You're bluffing, but you're also cooking with gas, because this kind of confidence is the beginning of a better understanding of your spiritual life an understanding that dangerous religion doth not have. I talked to someone who recently attended a funeral where dangerous religion was in charge. Ever been to one of those? The pastor didn't eulogize the deceased. Let me explain. The woman who died was a beautiful person, and she had lived her life hidden with Christ in God, I would say. Christ, who was her whole life, had been revealed in her over and over again for decades. She let her light shine. She served. She loved. She had a glorious life, as Paul would say. But the preacher didn't talk about the light of Christ that's so evident in her. Instead, he used the funeral gathering as the platform to teach his man-made regulations. He talked mostly about people being separated from God. Makes you want to stand up in the back of the room and say, hey, teacher, leave the kids alone. And let's really talk about what went on in this woman's life. There's your power right there, right there. And so we're invited to rebel against stuff like that. Stop submitting to worldly regulations. Be wary of their promises. And then we're invited to learn to think more like God. Learn to think more like God since you've been raised with Christ Set your mind on things above, where Christ is, from Christ's vantage point, seated at the right hand of God. Paul loved talking about the mind of Christ that's within you. You have the mind of Christ. You've not been given a spirit of timidity, but of confidence and strength, spiritual strength, and a sound little noggin right here. You've been given a sound mind. So don't be conformed to the world and be transformed through the renewing of your mind so that you could prove, demonstrate the glory of God out in, your, out in the outer world and inside of you. That's how Paul thought of the mind, higher thinking, and we have it. I drove to Bear Lake early in the morning, last Saturday morning, looking for some higher thinking, and boy, did I get it. I witnessed glory an otherworldly view of the peaks that tower over Bear Lake. Do you know the view? Many of you know the view. It's unbelievable, but this morning it was better. Clearing storms had produced a different sort of light. It happens when the water droplets fill the atmosphere and everything sparkles. Photographers, you know the magic light of clearing storms. And in all that sparkle, Hallett Peak looked like a god among legions of peaks and crags, layers and layers of dimension in these mountains. And then my mind drifted further upward, beyond the mountains. And I remembered hikes that I have taken to the top of Flat Top Mountain, high above Bear Lake. 
And then standing on top of the Continental Divide, I remembered how I would see Hallett and the full mountain range, but from this higher view, I noticed that I'm standing with them and we are looking on the world together. Because of firsthand experience, I know the world of mountains from two vantage points. I know the boots on the ground, Bear Lake vantage point of these mountains where they are glorious and standing over me and in a way against me, but from high on flat top mountain, I see them from an elevated perspective. And I want to see my life and this world from these different viewpoints. I want to see the boots on the ground world where I look up and see things that are higher and holier than me. And I also want to see from an elevated perspective where I'm included in Christ's point of view. And it's there. For since we have been raised with Christ, we need to learn to think like Christ. And here's some higher thinking for us to consider. It's higher thinking to realize that the spiritual journey is not linear, nor is it something we can control. Neither is anything about your life's journey, but we forget and we try to plan a life, plan a family, and plan a career as if we could. We also try to plan our growth, or worse, we submit to someone else's or some organization's plan for our growth. Usually means that transformation catches us by surprise. That's not what you thought I was going to say. You thought I was going to say it usually means that we miss transformation. It's not how it happens. Transformation will catch you by surprise when you're in all this planning. I was on a road trip to take care of something I knew would be hard. And I had experienced some hardship just trying to get out of town. Ever have that when you travel? <laughs> Woo. I was driving early in the morning. I was tired, preoccupied, and doubting myself, even the decision to take this trip. But as twilight became dawn, the landscape changed to friendly and beautiful, and I felt a strange sense of peace. I had that moment. You know it, early morning on a road trip. It's kind of magic. And I inhaled, and I smiled, and I exhaled, and just thought, it is well. And then it happened. From out of the blue, I heard a communication in my imagination, and it said, thank you for bringing us here. And I thought that was weird. The voices I hear in my head are usually mine. Um, they're my prayers. They're impressions of God speaking or encouraging me about something, and this was different. And before the I could cognitively process the thought, it hit me. I think God might be thanking me for bringing us, me, and God here. And then I just said, holy crap. <laughs> uh, maybe you hear things like that all the time. I had never thought of God as traveling with us that way. You know, I just thought of God as the Jesus take the wheel thing, or I never thought of it, or being capable of thanking us for bringing God somewhere or into something that God wouldn't have otherwise gone. And in one moment, my understanding of God and me just changed. 
And there's nothing I could have done to plan for that experience. It just happened to me. It was beyond my control because transformation catches us by surprise. And this notion that we can control the journey comes from every corner of the world. It comes from Madison Avenue, Wall Street, big media, social media, fake news, pop culture, the military-industrial complex, agribusiness, the medical industry, and of course, the religious industrial complex, if you know what I mean. And many good teachings given in respected settings, like loving families and healthy churches. They still give us the wrong impression about the process of spiritual transformation. And through looking to these sources almost exclusively for spiritual direction, we can get a distorted picture of the process. In truth, your life experience is your most valuable resource. Because in you, you have seen for yourself that there is more mystery than mastery in how God has been revealed in your own life. If you reviewed the best moments of your own unlinear, out-of-control journey so far, you would notice that your times of healing and growing out of a character flaw, discovering and developing a new aspect of your identity, mostly came about not from following the leader, but from some inner leading which you had the courage to follow. You know it's true. And spiritual pilgrims over the centuries know this in their bones, that someone is telling us to come forth, that someone has your best interests in mind, and this is the voice we must trust. It is spiritual law that when we're ready to transform, transformation will happen to us. We're all conduits of God's creative spirit, and spirit is always flowing through us when we're feeling it and when we're least expecting it. Your longing for progress or affirmation is not just your ego. It's an accurate response to God's glory that is already working in you, seeking new expressions of glory. We are creative beings. We are also creations. Both you and Christ are restless to emerge into a fuller expression in your life. It's not pride or ingratitude for, to long for more light even the, in the outward-facing realms of your life. More career success? Bring it on. Financial and material well-being? You bet. Seeing your children and your grandchildren thrive, being physically fit or having a healthy body or a happy marriage or travel adventures with your friends, even being recognized and appreciated by your peers or your family members, it's not pride. I'll take it a step further. It's humility. And here's how that works. When we stop holding on so tight and we start entertaining our longings, we allow for little changes to be crafted by our own humble little hands. And at the same time, we're being led in baby steps by God's grace. And when you listen to and follow your inward direction, then God's help and direction rise as well. And these motions are humble. They're not grabby because they require extraordinary open-mindedness, high kind of thinking. They require willingness to be a beginner. Cooperation is humble. Receptivity, openness, 
vulnerability are characteristics of spiritual strength, and when we foster these qualities, we're given the chance to grow and transform. Perhaps not by leaps and bounds, but by small strokes, tiny little shifts happen. We curiously observe ourselves. Well, look what's happening. Look at me. Lord Jesus, look at us. Identity is shifting. And being able to observe your own transformation means you're learning to think more like God. And when this starts to happen, you're in for the ride of your life, which is why trust is in order. Trust the process. Trust and enjoy the journey. Trust and enjoy, because there will be challenges. When we discover we can change, we may panic, like a prisoner. When they realize they can walk out free, free is freaky after confinement. Many people prefer orderly steps and a sense of control and some guarantees about success. But it's only by risking from one hour to another that we live at all. I wish those were my words. They belong to William James. It's only by risking from one hour to another that we live at all. Oh, risk. Well, how risky could this be? Well, often we discover that there are new parts to our identity. Pretty typical to surround ourselves with only certain types of believing mirrors. Your believing mirrors are those people who believe in you and who hold a mirror up and show you good things about yourself. Academics are surrounded by academic mirrors and corporate types and business people by business leadership mirrors, and young parents by the young parent mirrors. One's high school friends might not want to stay there for too long. These are believing mirrors. We tend to seek sameness. What about only white, straight people? They're a certain type of mirror, and the sameness means that we only see the part of ourselves that these people were around can see, not our full nature. So risk is when we venture beyond the usual mirrors and then the shakeup can occur. I remember when this happened to me in middle school. My mom and siblings and I went to Encampment, Wyoming, big town of Encampment. Love that place. For a weekend visit with close family friends, they had kids, our kids' age, and we, the Loveland kids, had Monday off school, but the encampment kids, no day off school. So my friend Tammy begged her parents to skip school and be with me on Monday. And her parents said, no way. So we hatched a plan that I would go to school with her for the whole day. And the parents agreed. So I ride the bus to school with Tammy and Jim. And I attend all the classes and eat lunch with the kids I'd never met. I even suited up for sports practice and learned from new coaches. And in short, all of their friends thought I was cool. Their friends thought I was cool. And I am not exaggerating when I say that no one in Loveland thought I was cool. I'm not just saying that. They didn't. I wasn't. So we get home, and Tammy's mom, Sheila, asked, well, what did the kids and coaches think of Katie? And Tammy said, all the boys like her, and all the girls want her to move here. 
And Sheila said, well, I am not surprised because Katie is special and I wish she would move here too. And as I look back, Tammy's mom was one of those adults who saw more in me than I was aware of. And she was generous in her mirroring. And I remember leaning on Sheila's image of me many times at various stages of my growing and changing. When we're changing sizes, we feel confident one day and small the next, excited at the possibilities, and then angry and resentful about what a slow-moving idiot or low-jerk character we actually are. And this is not unhealthy. It just seems that way. Your claim on your true self seems false, but it's not. It's just incomplete. And then over time, a transforming person will try on several sets of hats and shoes and stumble through many life projects, and you want to encourage yourself in this. Encourage it in others, but remember it's threatening to people who like linear steps, linear process. To avoid panic and false starts, you want to think of change as an experiment and treat yourself like a science project. Experiment with growth, see how it goes, Give yourself the gift of humor. Panic doesn't mean you're crazy. You just feel that way. The trick is to not let it escalate. Instead, say, good, I'm getting unstuck. There's a spiritual law that we are in the process of becoming what we already are, perfect creations of a generous and collaborative creator. That's the law. Even with our most awkward and ill-conceived projects, we're still in a state, safe place with Christ, and we're moving closer to becoming our true selves. Faith is a process based in believing that we can change and trusting in the unchanging support of God. Believing we can and trusting our support is critical to well-being and growth. It takes a long time to bring excellence to maturity long time. The lemons on my tree began as buds. The process of getting to lemons requires that I trust nature. And God asks that I trust that my unfolding will be at least as safe, natural, and glorious as the creation of a lemon. The butterfly is a symbol of transformation. It emerges from a drab, little, protective cocoon. And we must trust that we're protected in our growth. Our human flip-flopping and awkwardness, panic, embarrassment, they're all natural to the passage of all change. From God's vantage point, all creation is in the throes of shifting identity. Faith stories on all horizons, from the cosmic to the interior of a seventh grader, tell the story of constant transformation constant changing form. When we participate in our own growth, we're participating in spiritual law. Before you ask God for help, God is revealing your need and desire to you. We're not as alone as we feel. Our growing pains are as universal as the hard human emotions of doubt and disconnection and disappointment. Oh, and that awful uncertainty. These have been felt by all spiritual seekers before us. These states and all our mistakes have been survived by many and comforted by all. 
by our loving creator. Don't miss this. Healthy spirituality is a constant collaboration between God and that person you dream of becoming. That's healthy spirituality. As we purposely open ourselves to growth, we're led through good changes, and we're protected in God's comfort. For you died. Your life is hidden in the cocoon of Christ's love. You are hidden with Christ in God with an exceptional vantage point of the mind of Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you're also revealed over and over again with him in glory. Uh, Last week, uh, an opinion writer that I read, Margaret Rinkle, uh, she published a story about her spiritual growth and change. She talked about how for the first time in her life, she didn't go to church on Ash Wednesday, and she didn't receive the ashes. She skipped the ritual, and here's why. Margaret has had a troubled relationship with the church and her childhood since childhood when she learned in Catholic school she wasn't eligible to become a priest, wouldn't be allowed. But for decades, the gifts of her faith, they outweighed the institutional regulations that she found so alienating and enraging. She knows that human institutions are flawed. She loves her church. But then the pandemic hit, and the quarantines left her unchurched through no choice of her own. And then came the death of her last parent, to whom church was a matter of life or death. And she and her husband were suddenly free to make some choices. Scary. And she came to understand that her growing feeling of spiritual alienation probably wasn't temporary. She wrote, I loved my parish. I loved our brilliant, compassionate pastor. But I was done with institutional church. Still, I miss the community. I miss the singing. I miss the social justice ministries. I miss the ashes. She misses walking through Lent with her church, and she has no desire to walk through it on Instagram, (laughs) where people share their Lenten self-improvement projects. She reflects on the faith of her mother's side of the family. They were Protestant believers, started each day with a simple devotion, but that's not what she's looking for either. Honestly, she says, I don't know what I'm looking for. Forty years ago, she took a philosophy of religion class. She still has the textbook marked up with stars and yellow highlighting, and she thinks, what was my younger self thinking in those classes? Why did I highlight that? Why star this? And then she realizes in a flash, it doesn't matter. And she remembers the same young college woman sitting in her parents' backyard on a Sunday afternoon, feeling at perfect peace. And there were no audible words, but if there had been words, they'd have been something like this. It's okay. Don't worry. It's okay. And that encounter, that memory, comforts her, and it affirms her identity as ever and always living in Christ. 
And Margaret may look for a new church someday, a new community with whom to share the joys and the sorrows of the spiritual journey. I hope she does. But she doesn't feel obliged to find that place just now. And in her bittersweet story, we see the simple components of healthy spirituality. That we stop submitting to human-made regulations. That we learn to think more like God. That we trust the process and enjoy the journey. We hear the presence of God speaking with her. We can see how grace is happening to her. God's grace isn't something we attract to ourselves through good planning. Margaret has been led somewhere, even against her will. And yet she's experiencing the favor of God in this uncomfortable journey. We also see her humble participation in her own process. Humble. Maybe no ashes, no priests. She's cooperating with the God of her life. And so to us, without any pressure to engineer something, I invite each of us to ask, what if anything that we've shared today has captured your attention, captured your mind? Is there a regulation to abandon, a freedom to step into? Is there a new way of thinking about God? We're thinking like God, a higher mindset to cultivate. What excites you or terrifies you about the idea that you are free and you're hidden with Christ and God, about not having as much control as you might like, but having more protection and grace that you could, than you could ever ask for or imagine? What excites or terrifies you? If you have a little something in mind, you could do this to ritualize what you're realizing. I'm going to write mine on my calendar for today, March 6th. I think it's March 6th. And then also on the square that is Easter Sunday in April, I'm going to remind myself to look back on the learning, the growing, the things that were being done in the hidden and secret places of my life over these six weeks of Lent. Let's pray. Gracious God, uh, thank you. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for having compassion on us that it's not always that easy to access it. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for giving us space and time to try new things on in our lives. Thank you for giving us friends for the journey, believing mirrors, changing believing mirrors. Thank you for the companionship that you give us. We ask that you would open up our hearts a little bit. Give us some space and opportunity to think a little more creatively, to take a little more responsibility for our spiritual lives and even uh, enjoy it a little bit. Give us curiosity for those things. So much more that we could ask for, so much more that we could seek to plan, so much more contribution we could try to make in hope of a successful outcome. But give us the grace to allow you to prompt us with inner leadings and give us the courage to follow. We pray in Jesus' name who leads us. Amen.
I invite you, like is our habit, for those who would like to, to put a hand out or an arm out to symbolize that you're receiving God's blessing. And may you be blessed. May you be blessed with the confidence and the knowledge that you are with Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God, and that you have the mind of Christ and the ability to see things the way that Christ sees things. This world that we live in in love, as well as the interior of your own precious self. And may you be thoroughly convinced that you died. And your life, your true life, is now hidden with Christ in God. And as Christ, who is your life, is revealed in that mysterious pattern and all those magnificent cycles of life, you also will be revealed with him in glory. Amen? Amen. And so now go in peace with all of that good understanding and also be back here next week for week three of living in Christ. I believe Pastor John Smith is bringing that message next weekend and have a great and safe week. Be careful out there. Bye.